The sheen of sunlight on bright glass and the bluest of skies greeted us when we arrived in the concrete jungle. While the Silver Age had definitely changed some things in new and different ways, it seemed to turn up the volume on the City of Tomorrow's grandeur. Making our way down the hot pavement to the Daily Planet, we stopped in our tracks at the sight of the flying newsroom helicopter, tearing off into the distance to follow the blue and red blur. Just another day in Metropolis. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. And not talk about Star Wars, we swear. <laughs> for, for the record, for those who weren't in the room with us, we just spent, like, we two sat hours. down, we turned on the mic, and then we talked about Star Wars for two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> two hours and 45? Yeah, so, so now you don't have to listen to us talk about Star Wars. I'm actually going to uh, tangent before we actually get started. So, a right. little bit of context. Uh, we are about to start up on Superman. Yes. And this is Silver Age, 1958. I'm actually going to propose a definition. Hmm. I think this is the Electrum Age. I think that we have two different ages going on simultaneously. Uh, we have Green, Lan Green Lantern, which technically starts in a year, uh, and Flash. And those are Silver Age comics. They are comics that are defined by uh, more mortal heroes and uh, a little bit more dynamic, interesting stories. Whereas the stuff that I think of as Electrum Age is an evolution of the Golden Age. It's gimmicky stuff. It's like uh, what if kind of stories. These stories, like what we're reading now, Martian Manhunter, uh, Aqu Aquaman, those aren't Silver Age. They're not mortal serious heroes but they're not golden age either so i think what you consider to be silver age is the bronze age it might be because because be what you're describing to me is dark knight batman which is 1980s well batman mm -hmm. and mortal and like you know emerald mm -hmm. dawn and crisis on infinite earths and this is the silver age to me but because... we're already seeing uh we're already seeing like uh flash and uh green lantern being Having having pages of doubt of right, uh, and and then we'll shortly be getting the uh, we'll, we'll shortly be getting the Fantastic Four, right? But what I'm saying is, this is the gamut of the types of heroes. Mm -hmm. Aquaman is still Silver Age, being happy-go-lucky and weirdly gimmicky. I think that's very Silver Age because I think anything that's dealing with the backlash of the comics code is Silver Age. Anything that's an evolution of what that is to me is the Bronze Age. Because I Fair. feel, because, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right, there is some weird mercurial form of character between bronze and silver, and maybe we need to go back and read some of those volumes that we skipped to get here for Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. That might be the age you're talking about. This feels like science fantasy. This, to me, is the same level as The Flash. And I see doubt in some of these with how Superman deals with things. It's not as profound mm -hmm. as Flash and Green Lantern because those are new characters but they're trying to give Superman in these some doubt that is comparable for Superman so I'll agree I maybe there's something qualitatively different in my mind about Flash and Green Lantern and I'm not quite sure what it is well, I, I, I kind of latch on to that sense of mortality but it's not directly that it I think it's they, also just hum, better, humanity. It might be the humanity to it, but it's also, I think, better writing. 
Yeah. I think that really is what it comes down to, is the teams are better on those two books than any of the teams that we've seen so far. And I think that really does make a difference, because those guys might be the new age, and I don't know if these guys, the guys who we're going to be reading right now for the Superman book, um, it's Jerry Coleman uh, and Otto Binder with uh, Al Pastino and Wayne Boring, uh, Kurt Swan and, uh, and Stan Kane were doing the, the covers and stuff like that, so... Uh, uh, Boring and Plastino were doing the art and Binder and Coleman were doing the writing. Maybe these are guys from the Golden Age that were told to, to spruce it up and maybe the guys who were doing Flash and Green Lantern were new guys coming into the industry and they've got a different perspective. Maybe those honest, guys, I maybe don't those, know. At least from, I don't, I don't from know. an art perspective, I don't I'm know. Sure, uh, I'm, sure we could look at, I'm sure we could look it up, but I'm wondering if it's a difference of pre- and post-war guys. I wonder. I don't know how much younger the guys were writing you know, Green Lantern and Flash and maybe that's them coming out of the war and having a different viewpoint, or maybe it's guys who lived through the war, or maybe it's new guys coming in uh, based off of a world post-war. I don't know. But I honestly think they're, they're better writers. And so I think that's part of it. There's the other question, is at what level is the change being pushed? Because if it is, like, the writer and editor jobs are uh, split apart, but the editors are the ones who are often handing out storylines. So I... Then the question becomes if it's if it's a quality of writing thing, is it the moment to moment writing rather than the story ideas? Is it something that's being driven? Is the silver is the silver age of Green Lantern and uh, Flash being driven by the editors, or is it being driven by the quality of the moment to moment writers? And I think also some it's of it is question. You know, Superman's not getting a hard reboot like they were. Yeah, well, I think that's part of it too. Is there there is some level of expectation you have for Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman at this point to service children mm. because they are the ones that stuck through as examples of good superhero comics during the comics code issue. I think there's a level of responsibility that is attached to the characters because of their notoriety and their and the high level of readership for them to be tamer and more happy-go-lucky, which is why those other characters resonated so much more with an older generation because they didn't have to be because Green Lantern was about sex and and adventure and mm -hmm. Flash is about you know science and, and and weird you know science fantasy. Superman's Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> Semi literally. It's, well, it's the difference uh, between Saturday morning cartoons and Toonami. Ooh, yeah. It really is the difference. Ooh, they're they're yeah. all cartoons, but one's for a different generation. But they're both. <laughs> oh my god, I would totally watch a Green Lantern Adult Swim show. Oh yeah, <laughs> but like I think that's the difference that you're seeing. Okay, so maybe it's. Maybe I shouldn't be thinking this, of this as different ages, but rather different creative movements. Yeah, I think that's, okay. a, that's a valid that's, way to yeah. look at it, because I, I honestly look at the ages just based off of historical situations. Silver mm -hmm. Ages, anything written in reaction to the comics code. Not so much a thematic age for the writing, so much as just an event that then, den a timeline event that then denotes where we are. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. One thing I will throw out there with regard to, I guess, Electrum versus Silver movements, or what, however we want to differentiate it. First off, uh, let's be very clear, going to Superman, this is more in the vein of Aquaman uh, and Twitter, like an a major improvement over John Jones stories, but still yeah. in that same kind of vein, rather than whatever movement uh, Green Lantern and Flash are in. It's, uh, it's happy-go-lucky superhero time. Yep. One thing in particular that we'll notice, we haven't seen it in Green Lantern or Flash, maybe because the status quo is so new for them, but 
a lot of these stories are taking the, the status quo and upending it in some way and then it coming back to normal by the end. Those bits where it's like, here are the hallowed institutions of the status quo. Let's play with throwing them out and then bring it back. Right. And I think that also might have to do with the fact that these characters didn't get rebooted. Yeah, so you have the you have to you have the status quo like ingrained. Right. As opposed to Green Lantern and Flash mm-hmm. where they're just starting out. They're still we haven't established it. So far mm-hmm. the status quo for Flash is Gorilla Grodd's out there somewhere. Yeah. And for Green Lantern it's Quard and the Guardians. And that's about it. But Superman's status quo like for all, like okay, we're gonna be going into action comics and Superman. Um, both titles have not changed their numbering since we started. So mm-hmm. remember how we started action like one and detective like 38 so action comics one was like years and years and years ago when we started the podcast now we're at like action comics 241 Mm -hmm. and presumably superman has been in each of these issues up till that point yeah um same thing with superman ever since we hit superman number one in the podcast way back when we're now at superman number 122 remember how we started renumbering like we didn't Mm -hmm. well we didn't change the numbering on flash we changed the entire character. Yeah. Aquaman started getting and, numbers. And, and it had been out of circulation for a long time. Right. So that's kind of the thing here is that presumably because we, we skipped to go to the Silver Age, which I'm trying to work out a, an idea for us to go back and do all those Golden Age that we missed to kind of mm-hmm. hit the highlights of it. Um, because we moved forward to get into this age to get into a little bit more of a plot heavy, you know, world shakeup, Superman doesn't seem to have done that yep which is a good segue into what we're going to start with because this does definitely show like a vast change in some areas for superman um yes joanne i know (laughs) she was sitting here for the entire time of the star wars thing and she's toe tapping to get us through this so we're we're going to push so we're just going to start with action comics number 241 june 1958 you're going to hear the same date a couple times because a lot of these comics are coming out at the same time now they're like like, the Superman comic is now coming out at the same frequency as action comics. Yeah. So you're going to hear the same date, the same month, two different types of stories happening. Present so, day. Present time. Yeah. Present place. <laughs> um, so action comics number 241, June 1958, is kind of this weird, interesting tour into the new Fortress of Solitude. So if you remember before we did uh, the comics... Oh, that's right. That was, that was not this version. Right. We did the Comics Code episode before that. We had an issue where Superman actually made a Fortress of Solitude in a mountain. So this starts with him going to his new Fortress of Solitude and kind of showing that gigantic, iconic, like crazy, huge arrow key that they try to explain is supposed to look like an air, like an airspace uh, directional arrow for planes, which I think is kind of funny. Don't know if those really exist, but if they do, I imagine they're very large, so you can see them from a plane and know that you're supposed to turn and not fly into a mountain. But <laughs> He's got this gigantic key that he uses to unlock the Fortress of Solitude, where he keeps um, a lot of weird things. Now, I'm going to go through the different weird rooms in the Fortress of Solitude, and you just let me know when one of these things creeps you out. Okay, listener? Uh, we're going to go into the Lois Lane Vault. Now, inside the Lois that Lane... Just, that just... That phrase. I'm sorry. Right. Now, the Lois Lane Vault is a room that has gigantic pictures of Lois Lane, a wax statue of Lois Lane and in which he is going to deposit some pearls to make her a necklace because he heard at the Daily Planet that Lois Lane would like a pearl necklace that she saw in a shop window. 
Um, then he moves over to the Jimmy Olsen vault. Now, in the vault for Jimmy Olsen, whom, again, we saw in the Golden Age, we just saw him starting out as a tiny kid. He's now more of, like, an 18-year-old young man. Um, looks like Jimmy Olsen, like you presume he does, in if you have any familiarity with the character. Um, in the Jimmy Olsen vault is, of course, a wax statue of Jimmy Olsen and a car that he has been building from scratch to give to Jimmy in the event of Superman's death. Which is kind of a shitty thing to do, is that I built you this car if I ever die, the invulnerable man. What a jerk. Like, you kind of hope that it's going to be like, well, I'm, I've got it most of the way done, and he can pick it up, like, now, but I'm going to give it another, like, three months of polish, and then happy birthday. Right, yeah, he's but, not doing that. He's keeping yeah, it in that's his not vault said. at the event of his death. <laughs> um, then he's going to move to the Batman vault. Now, inside the Batman vault is a wax fat, uh, wax statue of Batman and a, cl- a crime-solving machine that he has created himself in an effort to help Batman solve crimes so that he can have a super brain helping him if Superman isn't around in the event of his death. What? Okay. Uh, yeah, the Lois Lane necklace is also for the event of his death, I suppose. I don't really explain that, but I'm assuming that with all these other things that are in the event of his death... Also, there's a giant picture, a life-size picture of Superman holding Lois Lane, and she's waving in the picture like they're flying. And underneath the signature, this is this is what kills me, to Superman from Lois. Now, Lois <laughs> bought a life-size picture of her and Superman, specifically one of her being carried by Superman, and then gave it to Superman. It's, it's What? It's roughly equivalent to the... Uh... The, I don't, was it the children's book rather than the comic book where Wolverine gave Nightcrawler a picture of himself? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And then we move on to, of course, the Clark Kent vault, where he's got an entire vault dedicated to the person or the persona of Clark Kent. In the event of his death, his secret identity is still maintained because it looks like Clark Kent is a buddy of Superman's and Superman thought about Clark Kent too. <laughs> That's weird because when you die, so will Clark Kent. So now no one's going to be like, hey, Clark, check out the, oh, you're not around either. He's also got his uh, painting room where he's painting with a gigantic brush and, like, supervision. And as he's looking at the Martian landscape, which is not what Mars looks like, according to John Jones's uh, adventures in Detective Comics. And he's also got a lab where he's working on some kryptonite stuff in a huge lead suit. Um, not to mention he's also got, like, a menagerie, a chemical room, a bunch of trophies from old criminals and stuff like that. He's got a bunch of what is essentially what you now expect in the Fortress of Solitude to be in those offshoot rooms that don't house Kryptonian crystals from Jor-El that teach him about being a Kryptonian. Also, that gigantic diary made of metal that he heat visions yeah, yeah. Uh, his diary into, which I always thought was really cool. But he also writes in Kryptonese, which is incorrect. It's Kryptonian. How dare you? But I'm going to let that pass because it's the first time you've ever seen that. So in this first time we're ever seeing, of course, the uh, Fortress of Solitude. Oh, sometimes he also writes in his metal journal with his fingernail, which is <sighs> dumb and really terrible. Yeah, no, that, um, that po- uh, just the sound does not... No. Right. So Superman's... In his Fortress of Solitude, and he gets a message that says, like, I've hidden inside your fortress, Superman, come find me. So he's basically doing this hunt for this mysterious intruder inside the fortress that lasts for a few days. And eventually, he goes into the Batman vault and realizes there's a puddle of gray and blue goop in the Batman room. And goes, I've figured it out. I know who it is. And as we see Superman doing Superman things in the uh, fortress, a cave collapse happens. And a kryptonite rock falls near him. And out of the shadows comes Batman. It was Batman the whole time. 
messing with Superman going like, hey, it was your birthday and I wanted to give you a surprise for a mystery you couldn't solve because what do I get, the man who has everything? So I tried to give you a super mystery, but I screwed it up because now you're in your kryptonite and I can't lift the rocks and you're going to die. And Superman's like, gotcha! And <laughs> crushes the rock that I guess he painted to look like kryptonite. And he goes, I knew it was you because I saw the gray puddle under your feet and I knew that was the wax version of Batman and you were the real Batman in the Batman vault. And I'm going, Batman, really? For being like the world's greatest detective, you didn't go like, I need to sweep up this, with this hot wax. And he, he has like, Alfred to clean things. Oh god, it was so bad. But actually, does he have Alfred to clean things not at in this the, point? Not in the, yeah, not in the fortress though. He well, no, no, no. I'm just trying to. Yeah, Alfred. Yeah, we, we, well, we I mean, he, he, the... he had him. I'm wondering whether he got retcon. No, that's later on. That's later on that Alfred that's dies. Different. Yeah. Uh, bottom line being, Superman and Batman have a jolly old time on Superman's birthday, the Fortress of Solitude, with a really weird mystery that actually wasn't really a mystery. It was kind of an elaborate prank. That's actually comics number 241. Now, we go to Superman number 122, July 1958. There's a couple of shorter stories in the magazine. It looks like three stories inside it, wherein uh, Metropolis is making a time capsule to be dug up in the whatever, some odd century. And in it is going a bunch of stuff that the people of Metropolis have put in. And Superman gets this weird compulsion to start getting things from different celestial bodies around our solar system and bring them and tell the people who are making time capsule to put them in there and everyone's getting really weirded out because Superman's being really forceful about this and eventually Lois Lane kind of figures out the pattern and she knows the planets that he's going to go to next and he's baffled by it but eventually he gets a communication from the future in his mind of a man I guess or some future being saying Superman we have done this to you and we are commu we are communicating to you from the future to get you to fill the time capsule in Metropolis full of wonderful objects that prove your mighty skills, because we've heard so much about you. And if you look at the locations that he went to in the universe, the first letter of each of the celestial bodies spell out Superman. Saturn, Uranus, Pluto, Earth, Rhea, which is a satellite moon, Mars, Ariel, another satellite moon, and Neptune. So, that's a weird story that like, is very strange. Um, the next story in this Superman magazine is Jimmy dreams about Superman being the president, which is a very weird storyline, but just funny as all get out because Jimmy like has no concept of how like real things work. So like when he gets a presidential car, the license plate just says official car. And I'm like, That's <laughs> oh, not... I didn't catch that. Oh, it's great. It's on the Instagram if you want to check it out. But I'm like, way to go, Jimmy. That's just like, even in your imagination, you don't know how things work, you idiot. So it's great. Um, and also, of course, Superman makes his vice president Clark Kent because they're buds. And Jimmy is put into the cabinet because he's Jimmy and it's his dream. Just guys being pals. Yeah, guys guys being pals, guys. Um, also, Jimmy frequently introduces him as I'm Superman's Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, which is the title, of course, of Jimmy Olsen's spinoff comic, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. In the final story in Superman number 122, a freak accident with an experimental radio helmet getting hit by lightning while Superman is testing it makes a lightning signature of Superman that then goes down to Earth and then inhabits a soldier who's just kind of minding his own business and the guy gets Superman's powers for the foreseeable future. And as Superman kind of observes him from afar, he realizes there are some uh, bad guys who are trying to kidnap him and get the secret out of him so they can, like, make Superman soldiers. I don't know, it's not very clear. Bottom line being, Superman uses this guy as bait without really telling him. And then, once he catches the criminals, he then puts kryptonite near the guy, I guess, and then takes his powers away from him without telling him. I'm like, that's dangerous, because the guy doesn't know that that happens, 
Because he doesn't... Oh, I didn't even think of that portion. Yeah. He doesn't know that he doesn't have the powers anymore, and he didn't know that he had them to begin with, so it wasn't like he woke up and, like, felt pain or whatever or got shocked by lightning. He just was like, hmm, I feel good today, and then flew around and, like, jumped in front of bullets and stuff. You take the powers away from him, he's gonna think he can still do all that. And I was like, that's irresponsible and weird. Uh, so, just a strange... Yeah, it was these these guys who were, like, uh... The, I well, guess foreign it, agents of some kind. I guess at this point they'd be Russian in the, yeah. in the late 50s. It's the the idea, like, they, call, they say, like, supreme leader and stuff like that. So I'm assuming they're Russian. And they're spies. Um, but they're just trying to get secrets from the military. And they see that this guy is has the strength of Superman, they're supposed to go back to their country and say that, like, America's got an army of Supermans, and it's crazy. And for the record, like, after they go away, and it's like, okay, that situation's handled, he depowers the guy. Should he have... Uh, there's actually an ethical question there. Should he have depowered the American soldier who had Superman's powers for a little while? Right. Because... kind of a dick move. I mean, this guy clearly doesn't... isn't as good with the powers. He is actually a little bit accident-prone. Stuff goes wrong. But should he have taken that out of the hands of America's defensive arsenal? Also, does... should he not have told the guy that he's doing that? Also so that, that the guy yeah. doesn't, like, do something stupid, like, step yeah. in front of a gun and be like, Hey guys, watch this, and then get shot... Like, because that's my nightmare scenario for that guy. Is I didn't even think of that portion, like, but yeah. Like, he, like, the next sequence we see of this guy after Su- Superman kind of points a kryptonite rock and a lead case at him is he's peeling potatoes by hand going like, well, I don't have my powers anymore. I'm like, how did you find out you didn't? What did you try to do? How Are you okay, sir? So, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like that whole situation is very irresponsible for a lot of reasons. Superman, very ir- irresponsible yeah. for a lot of reasons. Very irresponsible for a lot of reasons. Uh, Action Comics number 242, July 1958. Hey, look, it's the same month. Um, it's the first appearance of Brainiac and the first appearance of the Bottle City of Candor. And it's all in this story. It's like, awesome. It's, it's actually a really solid story. I was yeah. kind of, like, for being a Silver Age comic, I don't think you could ask for anything more from this story um, at the time that it was written. I think yeah. it's actually probably the best story in this, in this group that we read. Uh, uh, I'll agree on writing. There's one with yeah. art that I'll yeah no there there, there are better there's better art but I think that this is one of the best written stories mm-hmm. that we've seen of Superman that's like straight up Superman doing awesome stuff yeah. uh, so apparently Lois Lane and Clark Kent are allowed to go on a spaceship into space with no formal training and also uh, just like they look like they're wearing machine coveralls like they're not even wearing spacesuits so thank God for people not knowing how space travel works in the 1950s. And as they get into space, they get in the path of, like, a flying saucer that knocks them kind of off course. And, of course, Clark jumps out of the spaceship to, like, look like a coward as if he's retreating and going to fall back to the planet by himself without burning up on re-entry. He, he's got a jetpack. That'll get him home fine. Yeah, I guess. And so uh, he leaves Lois and the rest of the crew on the ship, and Lois is like, what a coward! And of course he flies behind a rock, changes into Superman, and starts to attack the flying saucer, and in which is Brainiac with his companion, an alien monkey named Coco. You know it's an alien monkey because it's got a little antenna above its head, uh, and that's the only distinction, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, these are black and white for me, yeah, so were they, it, was it a green monkey? It's pink. Yeah, okay, so it's a weird color. But uh, <laughs> Brainiac is like, hmm, Earth. I guess this will do, and begins to shrink major Earth cities so that he can bring them back to what is not a, his unnamed home planet. I will name it for you because I'm a nerd. Kolu. Uh, it's in the. I didn't know that. 
in Justice 2, he's Kaluan. Hmm. He refers to himself as Kaluan. If you Google it, is Planet Kalu. I think it's C O L U. Um, he is a of a race of beings. Um, but he's bringing these cities back to his home planet that has been destroyed or kind of it's turned into a barren wasteland so he can kind of repopulate his planet with these new cities. Cool motive, still kidnapping. Um, Superman's not going to have any of that. Unfortunately, a bunch of these people in like Paris, Rome, New York, Metropolis get shrunk and put in bottles and everyone's probably freaking the hell out because now they're tiny in bottles in a ship in space with an alien and an alien monkey. That's got to be horrifying, because those things are got to be like, the the sky has to be everything that you're seeing. So, like, there's no at, there's no clouds, no blue. Like, they're seeing the inside of a spaceship on, like, the Champs-Elysees. Like, that's got to be horrifying. So that's an interesting question, whether there would be, like, that kind of cloud diffusion I don't at know. that size. I don't, it's I don't interesting. know. It's not like whether, uh, whether water droplets in the air would just sort of... I don't know. I don't know, but I like to imagine everyone's freaking the hell out because they're seeing the inside of Brainiac's ship. And they're like, what is happening? <laughs> I do and like I, that visual of just like 24 hours of complete freak out. Yeah, it's just everyone's losing their utter mind. And of course, Brainiac's not helping because he's like taking things out of the city with tweezers and like looking at them. So he's got like the Eiffel Tower and some tweezers and they're like, hmm, primitive. And Superman's trying to fight him, but unfortunately, Brainiac has this like force field for lack of a better term around and, and Superman can't touch him so he's like chucking rocks at him and trying to hit him with the, the laser vision and, and he just can't do anything so he kind of backs off he eventually goes back to Metropolis to kind of like regroup and then of course Brainiac shrinks Metropolis he gets brought into Brainiac's bottle city of Metropolis gets himself out tries to enlarge himself again but gets attacked by Coco who was tasked by Brainiac to swat the fly that he thought Superman was. And eventually Superman finds his way into a bottle city that seems familiar to him because it has Kryptonian architecture. As he flies to it, he realizes that this is a Kryptonian city because he loses his powers. Apparently getting into the gravity of Krypton makes him lose his powers. It's it's still not solar radiation. Yeah. It's, it's the gravitational force of Krypton. Um, he no longer has his powers, but he finds... Uh, a college professor, kind of a dude, who's like a scientist. Um, his name is... I have it right here. Uh, Kimda. Kimda, who was college roommates with Superman's dad, Jor-El, which is like... He, this guy looks like he was somebody's college roommate. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, he's got that like super laid-back, like Big Lebowski vibe about him for a Kryptonian. Uh, and like he, scientist Big Lebowski. Scientist, yeah. scientist hippie. And uh, he kind of just tells, you know, Superman, like, yeah, this is a city from Krypton. And Superman tells him kind of where he, you know, went, and uh, this is how I'm here, and what's going on. And Kim just like, wow, that's crazy, man. But uh, we figured out that, like, we can reverse our size back, but, like, that's kind of how it's done. We just can't get out of the, the cork on top of the fucking vial. And so Superman devises a plan with this, like, giant mole creature that they've got to dig through the cork fly out so he has his powers again and he starts to resize all the cities on earth back to the planet and as he's about to resize Kandor onto earth so all the kryptonians could be alive kimda flies into the button with his spaceship to and re-enlarge superman so that earth would not lose its mighty defender and krypton you know and you know presumably Kandor would be saved because they've been living like that for years and superman grabs Kandor, flies back to the Fortress of Solitude, puts it in there, and Brainiac 
who is in stasis because he's like, I'm flying back to Kolu. I, I don't need to be awake for this whole time. Um, doesn't know that this has happened. So they kind of get away with it. Superman now has a bottle city, kind of like a, an ant farm of, of Krypton, <laughs> uh, in his home now. And he has a real connection to Krypton. My theory, my big question here, holy shit, uh, Brainiac just like stole a city from a thriving planet and like bailed? That's an interesting point. Like, that, like, like he didn't have multiple Kryptonian cities. Mm-hmm. He had just Kandor. And then, like, no other cities. And then he, like, flew around and then found Earth. Now, presumably, I want to say it's been, like, 35 years since Krypton blew up. I don't want to talk about space dilation because I don't mm-hmm. necessarily understand it too well. But I'm going to say 35 canonical years. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. So he's been 30, flying around 35. with Kandor for, like, 35 years. And he only took Kandor. Brainiac's, like, gotta be some kind of galactic menace of some dude who's just, like, flying around taking cities that he likes. Or, what if it's... What if it's... He's not wanted because no one knows. He's just, like, stealth. Like, it's relatively... He's the the ultimate... Like, there's a ray. But what if he goes over a place at, like, night and just abducts an entire city and uh, Krypton just wakes up, looks around... Where the hell's What's Kandor? missing? <laughs> it's just gone. He's like, Can you imagine the ghost story that would come from an oh entire city going missing? But but I, but I guess that like Brainiac is the ultimate like Uf, UFO crop circle maker because <laughs> like he, as he takes the city, he's like a giant. You bear. may be a crop circle maker, yeah. but I'm a crop circle taker. Exactly. What did he sound like? Men talk the mind taker. Because that's where mind. my mind went. Okay. <laughs> but I just like the idea that like instead of making crop circles, he just like makes city craters and everyone's like what does that mean and he's like flying away with his bottle sitting they're like ah i'm gonna take you home how does he know that like they're gonna be compatible with the atmosphere i'm like gonna these are all like, like like that's what i'm saying is like he's, he's taking a, vast there's a trash can in his ship right like he's taking vastly different civilizations from planets that have different gravities and different species, and just like plopping them on a planet. Like, what is he going? Like, I hope these work, and then like waiting to see if they like don't destroy themselves. Little kid Brainiac is just like, oh, I forgot to put air holes in it. Right, uh, because Krypton show like they show Krypton still like farming and making armaments and stuff like why is krypton arming itself i, I think why they were uh, like rocket sleds uh for public transit or something oh, i'm gonna double check that because uh <laughs> but they sure look like missiles. we have kept up our scientific progress despite being in our captivity we built rockets on an assembly line that yeah they're they're transportation rockets bottom line being there's a lot of weird stuff happening there yeah uh now we're gonna go to superman number 123 august 1958 this is three stories to do with Jimmy Olsen really being bad at wishing for things. So Jimmy Olsen's given a mystic staff, for lack of a better term, that has three wishes on it. Now, in the first story, Jimmy overhears Lois saying that Superman will never want to be with her because she doesn't have powers and he doesn't consider her an equal. And, and he thinks well, that... I, well, thought, I thought it was specifically that uh, he'd always be worried about her being uh, threatened by proximity to him. Right? Uh, sorry, Lois, but you know the answer to that. My life is in constant danger, uh, as a constant round of super action and danger. Only a super girl could keep up with me. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't seem like it's out of concern so much as he's trying to put her down. Because it's Superman, not Clark, so Clark is trying to make her not really fall in love with Superman by kind of making him a jerk. I don't know. I, Bottom line being... L- let's keep an eye on that, uh, for going forward, because I... 
for other reasons that I'll get into later on, I really want to do an episode on uh, Superman's girlfriend Lois. Oh yeah, we can. Buy, I'm we sure can that buy. have like those reasons for why they don't get together, yeah. just plastered we all can, over. We can buy a volume of that. Um, but Jimmy says, like, boy, howdy, it must be lonely to be Superman because he can't have a super girl to keep up with him. So he wishes that Superman has a super girl, and. It's kind of, now I looked into this, this is kind of actually the first appearance of Supergirl because this was their way of testing whether or not the audience would be okay with a female character in Superman that has the same powers. Mm -hmm. Um, So he makes Supergirl come out of magic nowhere, uh, parts unknown, and she helps out Superman, like, lift a plane and stuff like that, and she immediately is taken by him because her entire purpose for existing is to be his companion. So she's kind of smitten with him by automatic nature. Superman's weirded out by this, of course, because he's like, who the hell are you, crazy? And Did you just wish me a girlfriend, Jimmy? Pretty much. Jimmy wished him a girlfriend. And of course, Lois is distraught. But really the problem with Supergirl at this point, is, or magic Supergirl, I'm going to call her that, is she's clumsy and not really used to her power. She hasn't had the training that Superman has, so she's kind of getting in his way. And eventually she kind of takes one for the team for him by, like, saving him while bad guys drop kryptonite on him while he's, like, trying to hold up a railroad track by jumping and grabbing the kryptonite herself. That starts to kill her, and she asks Jimmy to wish her out of existence. Which, I was worried Lois would do it out of anger and, like, effectively kill (laughs) Supergirl, which you know would have happened in, like, the Golden Age. Yeah, I I could see that. But... She says, like, it's okay, Uh, I was no help to Superman anyway, it's best that I go, uh, give Superman my love. And Jimmy wishes her away. Basically, he can cancel his wishes at any time, it doesn't cost him a wish to cancel his wishes. But as we move forward... Hey, remember that time someone existed for five minutes and then didn't? Yeah, and we're talking about that. So, of course, uh, Jimmy got in the paper because he told Lois and Clark that he wished Superman a girlfriend, they wrote about it. And, of course, thugs break into Jimmy's house and take the magic staff, wish that Superman has no powers, and then bury it. So, Superman has no powers, but him and Jimmy go on this, like, ridiculous cavalcade of nonsense to make the thugs think that he still has powers and the, and the wand doesn't work on him. And eventually it works, and they go to dig the, the staff up to, like, break it because they're mad that it didn't work. Then Superman finds the staff, Jimmy cancels the wish, and everything's okay. Um, then we have what I like to call Kryptonian Back to the Future. Yeah. Where Superman... Yeah. Where Jimmy... Oh, yeah, really. Yeah, it basically is Back to the Future. So, um, Jimmy feels bad that Superman never got to meet his parents, so he wishes that Superman would meet his parents by typing out his wish specifically on a piece of paper so that he doesn't screw it up. Unfortunately, Jimmy can't spell, and instead of writes, instead of writing meet, writes mate. Superman, he wishes that Superman will mate his parents. So, Superman yeah. finds his parents when they're young, and they're like, oh my god, our Superman's parents space Nazis. I had that moment for a second. You saw that swastika and them doing the Sea Kyle salute? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was scary. But they're undercover secret agents, so it's not a problem. And they're trying... I forgot to... about the swastika, to be honest. No, but it's a big, big swastika. Holy... Okay, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah not... no, I didn't notice that. They're space Nazis. Although it's, it's backwards, right? I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't look at yeah, swastikas Yeah, it is regularly. actually backwards. It is I don't backwards. look at swastikas regularly, so yeah. I don't really know correct orientation. But the bottom line is, there's, they're Kryptonian Nazis... Uh, but her, his dad's undercover for the Kryptonian FBI, and they're tracking down this guy who is a Kryptonian Nazi, I guess. And they get thrown in jail with him because the his identification's on his hand, and it gets wiped. It's stupid. It's stupid. They get put on a moon. Superman's there, and he helps them get together because his parents aren't married by helping them defeat this guy. And they realize that like life is short and blah, blah, blah. And 
they should get married because they're in love now. Why wait? And then uh, Lara, his uh, mother, says like, you know, thank you, Superman. You know, I hope someday that we meet someone just like you or our son grows up to be just like you and kisses him and then he gets whisked back to the present day and he's like, Jimmy, give me the fucking wand. Like, that's the scene I wish happened was that he get he goes to Jimmy just takes it from him and, like, breaks it. Like, you are not responsible for anything anymore. But, but no, he just takes it and, like, puts it in a safe somewhere or a closet. And, granted, the wand can't work after the three wishes have been mm. wished for another hundred years. So it's a sec- it's essentially safe in Jimmy Olsen's closet. Uh, but, damn, how did Superman not just, like, like, he messed with the fabric of space and time and the existence of non-corporeal entities for, like, ten minutes. Jimmy Olsen's a goddamn menace. <laughs> okay, that might be the subtitle for the uh, episode. Jimmy Olsen's a goddamn menace. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, so the next one is uh, Action Comics number 243, August 1958, concurrently coming out the same month as that last Superman issue. Superman meets Cersei, who is, I guess, a Kryptonian who got stranded on I, Earth somehow. Is she? I thought she was just kind of a nope. general spacing. She's Kryptonian, if really? I remember correctly. Let me look. Did yeah, here we go. Yes, I'm glowing greenly. Then Cersei's evolution serum, another evolution serum, probably bought from the same website where the evolution ray, the grod, my bad guy from Aquaman ad. Mm. Um, Cersei's evolution serum contained a small dose of kryptonite, just enough to change me biologically without weakening my super muscles. It's it's Whom, definitely if the Cersei if the original Cersei could concoct a Kryptonian serum, she must have come from Krypton. Alright, alright. I have been shown who is the boss. Uh, just weird, weird, weird storytelling. It's so apparently this woman is the descendant of the original Cersei, which means she's a part Kryptonian human being, presumably. And uh, Superman saves her on her planet, on her island that is removed from the rest of the world and still in ancient Greece times. And she's like, you know, stay with me forever and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go back to Metropolis. And she goes, well, first have a drink. And he takes it and she's like, are you sure you don't want to stay? And he's like, yeah, pretty sure I said no the first time. And she's like, well, if you leave and you don't come back by sunrise, you're going to turn into a, an animal, just like the Cersei from the myths. And he goes like, sure thing, crazy. And he books it. And, of course, he wakes up with a lion's head and a lion's hands. Okay, you guys ever see Zootopia? It's the mayor from Zootopia. Yeah. He just looks like the mayor from Zootopia. Um, And uh, he's in a Superman costume, and everyone's freaking out by the fact that Superman's part lion now. But Lois still loves him. And there's a sad sequence where she takes him to a play anyway, and it ends up being the play of Beauty and the Beast, and it's kind of funny. Um, But he continues to try and find a cure because he goes back to Cersei to be like, what up, bitch? And she's like, I'm out. I'm in a spaceship, I guess. So we never get closure on that. Uh, but he realizes that because the serum makes him glow faintly, it must have had kryptonite in it. So he goes to Kandor by looking with his telescopic vision to read the library at Kandor to be like, oh, that's how they do it. And then, like, concocts an antidote out of Kryptonian literature and makes himself fine. We're going to move to Superman number 126, September 1958. This is the last story that we're going to cover the last magazine. Uh, the black, I like to call this the, the Black Knight Gambit. <laughs> yeah, alright. Which would yeah, be a yeah, yeah. super great uh, title for this, but they don't call it that. Um, the Black Knight, a mythical figure in Arthurian legend, is discovered in a glacier, and uh, Superman busts him out, and he's like, thanks, buddy, uh, if you join me, we'll be, like, co-rulers and stuff, because thanks for that. And he's like, no thanks, I'm not gonna take over the planet with you. And he's like, well, have at thee, and hits him with a magic sword that wounds Superman. Of course, now all these criminals know that Superman can be wounded by a magic sword, and they try to go to the Black Knight to be like, yo, 
uh, give us a magic sword for a little bit, and then we'll kill Superman. And he's like, verily, if you pay me lots of money, which is a weird thing. And they're like, sure thing, sucker. And they give him a bunch of money, and they're like, we're not going to give the sword back. So they attack Superman with the sword. And Superman's like, just kidding, it's not magic, it's wood! And then beats them all up and arrests them. And they're like, but the Black Knight sold it to us. And the Black Knight turns out to be Perry White, who had mysteriously gone on vacation and made Lois Lane editor-in-chief while he was gone for the sole sake of this entire trap. What? Honestly, the bit that, <laughs> the bit that floors me isn't that. It's that I'm just now realizing that Perry White was the Black Knight. Yeah. You that didn't realize that? White and Black. Yeah. I didn't yeah. I didn't put that together. It's good, right? It's like, god damn it. Uh also in this story, uh Superman and or in this book, Lois and Superman are stranded on an island because the I, I like to point out the Daily Planet flying newsroom is super cool. It's basically a helicopter yeah. that's got like new stuff in it. It's pretty dope <laughs> looking. Um they crash land on this island because a meteor almost hits them and of course the meteor lands on a volcano of this island they crash land on and Superman's like, Don't worry. Uh, Lois, I'm sure we'll find a way out. So he goes to the woods, changes into Superman from his Clark Kent guide, uh, garb, tries to fly into the air, and then realizes that the meteorite was kryptonite. And of course, being the volcano, is now spewing out kryptonite dust into the air, and he can't fly through it, and he apparently he can't dig under it. But I'm going, why can't you just fly horizontally? But that is neither here nor there. Because they're stuck on this island, basically indefinitely, because Clark is convinced that they can't get off of it. And so he decides to tell Lois that he's Superman. And does. And they're like, I guess we'll get married by these indigenous people who live on the island. Which is weird. And they're like, well, we only marry people in a week's time. So come back in a week and we'll marry you. And they're like, sure, I guess that sounds legit. And in that week's time, the uh, kryptonite meteor falls into a fissure into the earth. And is no longer spewing kryptonite gas into the air. So Superman has his powers back at full strength and he can do stuff. And I realizes he blew his super secret identity gag, so now he has to come up with a way to explain that Clark Kent tricked her with science? So he just, like, makes a bunch of machines out of, like, shipwrecks and, like, says, like, oh, look, it's magnets and shit. And she's like, you tricked me, but you're so honest you didn't want to marry me under false pretenses. That's Superman. Boy, what a jerk. Trying to pawn me off on you. Now, they get back to the mainland where, of course, the story that Lois has run about a, a gang has finished and the, and the trial has come to an end because they were worried they'd mentioned at the beginning of the story that like maybe the gang will try and get re you know revenge on Lois for writing the story um when they come back the trial's over and the guys are in jail and Lois is like maybe Superman wanted me to get stranded on the island for a week so that I wasn't around while the trial was happening boy he really does care Clark's like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> I can't win so he's just, he's just resigned uh the last story is very um bread and butter for Golden Age Superman Superman stops an under uh, while going undercover. Stops a, a guy who's building buildings with shoddy business, with shoddy material. I had forgotten that we'd already had a million of these stories, but yeah, and that's like the most yeah. average story that we've had. So I like to think that we have run the entire Superman gamut in these in this one kind of small month period in the nineteen fifty in nineteen fifty eight because we didn't actually cover a lot of ground with this. Oh, very few. But mind three, you, three months. Yeah. Now, mind you, that's not a problem because we're done with the we're done with the um, summary right now. That's not a problem because everyone else that we've gotten to is either in 1956 or 1958 anyway. So we're just keeping the status quo in the timeline. So I'm okay with not making a lot of time progress with this, but I think it's really interesting. We see just a variety of stories here that are just wildly different from uh, 
yeah, body horrors to new villains and stuff. It's pretty great, but there's some there's some hits in here and there's some very big misses and some retreading that is kind of lame. But all in all, it's definitely Silver Age, which I think is what you expected Superman to be when we started. Uh, I expected it to shift to it pretty quick. Right. Like, after you got out of the initial, oh, uh, anti, anti-capitalist agitator, okay, that'll be pretty quick, and then, well... It stayed that it's, way for, for like, it, years. It stayed that way for a bit, and then it was just, well, the, the social justice side is gone, but he's still this, he's not the, he's not Silver Age yet. He's not the do-gooder yet. Right. Uh, and uh, that was strange. But yeah, no. And this is... This is good. Well, I'm not I'm not going to say it's good. I'm going to say it's very solid and enjoyable. I had fun reading these. These were not... Uh, these were a good execution of the Silver Age, like, playbook. Yes. I will agree. Yeah, I, I, I like them. It's a nice taste of him in this era. Yeah. You know, for, for all the crap that we've had to read through with Martian Manhunter <laughs> oh. and stuff like that, this is a nice, like, oh, yeah, like, there's also some good nonsense happening, like Aquaman. And I do actually especially want to call out the uh, the Superman president and uh, the Brainiac story. Yeah. Because the Superman is president one, I've read that at some point in the past. I'm uh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Brainiac, like, that's the... the that is canon more or less that that is the story of Brainiac and Kandor and Kandor uh in his in, in the bottle city in the fortress of solitude just forever yeah. it's like oh yeah no that's that's going to be the the, meta the way for things that. are yeah yeah, yeah. the meta, the meta's the right word across multiple variations of uh the continuity well, yeah not to mention just like this version of the fortress of solitude is the metaphor from here till forever with the the menagerie and the, the vaults and the all sorts of nonsense that he's mm-hmm. got in this arctic fortress and i think the the architecture changes with the introduction of uh the original superman movie i think that's yeah. where that comes from that's probably true where it gets to be all crystalline and weird yeah oh i should rewatch that at some point oh, that movie all right, uh, I have notes, and I'm going to start off with context, uh, just kind of ground us a little bit. So we talked about these are 1958, so we're a little bit after the John Jones that we read, I think. Yeah, and we're Co- like a couple months, if anything. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah I, that's true because we read a bunch of issues because they were short. We read up to 1958. Huh. Wow. Okay. And then uh, we're a year before Green Lantern starts and a year before Flash gets his solo comic. Correct. Although Flash has been around yeah. for a while. Uh, Superboy does exist, just to give a little bit of uh, context as well on that. He- Supergirl doesn't. Superboy has existed for a while. Right. And then I get to talk about the adventures of Superman. Because mm. that's the thing. We're in, we're in an era where there is now the, a... the live-action TV show? Exactly that. Okay. And you know what? I watched an episode... It was actually really good. Yeah, man. George Reeve was, was pretty good. And dude is built. Like, okay. Yeah. We, we've got, certainly in the comics, like, Clark looks kind of big. And sometimes you see it, but like... I don't like the way that he's drawn in these, but continue. Yeah, that's he's, fair. But, anyway, uh, yeah, but yeah, George Reeve is just... Like, he looks more like normal uh, size ratio just across the board. But dude is big. Right. Dude, dude looks like he's got muscles. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, The Adventures of Superman. Watched one episode about 
them going to a deserted island and uh, taking before and after pictures uh, when the U.S. Navy shells it. Except then they get captured by pirates, who are the descendants of long shipwrecked pirates, who are all captains. Of course they are. It's amazing. It was awesome. And the key thing with it was it was entertaining in concept to a little bit, but the moment-to-moment writing had banter. Hmm. Like, it had that level of, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, okay, the overall scene may be kind of serious, but, like, okay, there's banter and jokes going on throughout it. Interesting. Uh, which we really don't see a lot of in this era of comics, with the exception of, I think, Green Lantern and Flash. It feels like there's that banter between uh, Hal and Carol, for instance. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, like, we don't get a lot of banter in these Superman comics. In any no, of the, not really at all. In any of what I refer to as the Electrum stuff, we really don't get the banter yeah uh let's talk a little bit about who's involved just that you know a little bit about who i'm talking about as i go later on uh i'm not exactly clear what the role of the executive editor is but uh whitney ellsworth is the executive editor during this uh not uh not schwartz not schwartz okay correct uh so i think it must be like you if you're the executive editor you've got a silo of comics but mm-hmm. it's not entirely clear. Okay. Because uh, there's also editors, and the editor for all of this is Mort Weisinger. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but I think that's the case. Uh, so to recap a little bit, Julius Schwartz edited for Flash and Green Lantern, Weisinger edited for Aquaman and uh, for Superman now, and Jack Schiff edited for Martian Manhunter. A uh, thing to note, just so that you have some awareness, uh, apparently Mort, was ex- uh, Mort Weisinger was extremely verbally abusive. Uh, the boss who you can never impress and who yells at you for hours. Hmm. Uh, writer-wise, we've got Jerry Coleman, Otto Binder, uh, and then pencilers Al Plastino, Wayne Boring, Dick Sprang, and Kurt Schaffenberger. Uh, inkers, Stan K. I want to talk about Kurt Schaffenberger. Okay. Because, holy shit, uh, he did the art for the, uh, the island and the volcano and the meteorite story. Yes. And I'm just gonna, like, in color... These are panels from Kurt Scheffenberger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember. I think I remember you posting about that on yeah. uh, Twitter. Uh, both. I think actually. Okay. Uh, and it's the art is gorgeous. The faces are a little bit animated. They're big and they're expressive. The irises are detailed in close-ups. Yeah. Yeah. The actions and the stances are very expressive. And Lois is gloriously sassy. And. I do highly recommend if you can get a, access to a colorized version. The inking reminds me a lot of Green Lantern, and I love the inking in Green Lantern. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I can see that. The heavy lines. And the, yeah. the heavy lines and just the the colors being rich, and especially the color composition. Pops. Okay. Uh, he only did the one story in this selection, but he's got stories in upcoming issues of uh, Superman, and he did most of the art for Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. But... Yeah, no, I've, I'm super digging uh, Kurt Schaffenberger's art. Okay, I'm going to say something, and it might be wrong, uh, so I'll try to correct it if not. Uh, I believe Kurt Schaffenberger was... Yeah, it was him. Uh, first off, uh, he did he did his time in the, in the armed forces during World War II. Uh, exited the armed forces as a master sergeant, so pretty well ranked. Yeah. Part of his time was in the OSS. Nice. And then later on, there was a point where he was fired from D.C. for protest for organizing against bad working conditions for artists. Hmm? Yeah, Kurt's awesome. Or was. But, uh, so, wanted to call out that art particularly. 
and I want to do a quick retrospective looking at the these Superman comics from the perspectives that I've looked at other the other comics of the Silver Age in. Uh, specifically the paneling layouts, the closeness, the time to resolution, and the richness of the art. Uh, paneling, like the whether the layouts are just the standard grid uh, or if they do things more interesting, this is it's a mixed bag. Uh, you get so, because there are so many different artists, some of them have more interesting paneling styles. Some of them don't. Most of them don't. Uh, I think it's specifically uh, boring has the most interesting layouts. Ironically, uh, he breaks up the grid. You remember how I talked about like the the corner of Utah cut? Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of those. Nice. Uh, the stories where it's got that is mostly him. Uh, other people kind of do like the wide panels occasionally, but that's really the extent of it. You don't get like the really interesting compositions. Like you, we never get those like three panels in a row of time passing that we get in like the Flash, especially. Okay. So, eh, eh mixed bag on that. But there is some interesting paneling sometimes. Uh, in terms of closeness, like both in terms of like how close the camera is, mostly in terms of how close the camera is to stuff. So that you feel like, not a participant, but you're not like a detached observer. Like right. we saw with, I want to say that was the first uh, episode of Martian Manhunter. It's like everything feels like super distant from the action. Here it's it's a goodly mix. Uh, characters are standing close together and we get close-ups of the characters and we get close-ups of the action. Like him like punching a, a new metal and being like, well, that clearly isn't indestructible. Right. It feels, it, we don't feel distant from the action, if nothing else. Uh, time to resolution. So this is an interesting one. We talked about how much time it takes from to go from a challenge being put forward to the hero being like, I know how to solve it, or also to actually solving it. Uh, and what we saw with Martian Manhunter was an obstacle would pop up and he'd immediately know the solution. And compared to like Green Lantern and Flash, it being a uh, I don't know what to do. That's the the sort of mortal uh, uncertainty that I kind of talk about. Right. What's interesting with Superman is that most of the time when an obstacle pops up, he solves it right away. However, there's the framing of the story. It established the key thing is it doesn't feel like Superman is omnipotent because the challenge that gets raised at the outset of the story, like the core thing to overcome, is it's not just that it takes a while for that to be resolved, it's that the stakes are so personal for it. These are all stories that are personal stakes for Superman, with very few exceptions. Like, uh, Supergirl is copied off of Superman, and she uses his powers uh, irresponsibly, or doesn't quite get it right. All these stakes are intensely personal, so it's like, uh, yeah, and he, the, that challenge, he's taking a while to figure it out. Compared to Martian Manhunter, even though, like, okay, you have a core thing to overcome, all of those stakes are intensely unpersonal. Right. It's always, hey, there are some crooks out there who stole a thing from nobody we care about. And fire bad. Yeah. Yeah. But as a result, like, even though Superman, like, every challenge that comes up is kind of popish, uh, purposes of plot, in that he, like, knocks it down right away, like, the core challenge is we're so invested in that it's like, oh, no, the real issue is this, and that takes the whole issue to resolve. So I feel like he's, Superman is definitely powerful, but he doesn't come across as completely omnipotent, which I'm a fan of. Yeah. And now I get to talk about the richness, richness of the colors. Uh, 
because most of these are, yeah, you know, it's they're they're normal, they're normal uh, coloring styles. It's it doesn't do anything special, uh, but with the exception of uh, Kurt Scheffenberger's stuff, and I like this got me to like revisit. What was it that I actually liked so much about Green Lanterns, like inking and stuff? Uh, and I just kind of want to like to update the perspectives that I've been viewing the uh, Silver Age in. I want to kind of go over that a little bit. The color palette in most of these comics that we read is a lot lighter than in Green Lantern. Mm. Uh, when the Green Lantern, like first off, like Green Lantern himself, the costume is green and black whereas superman is that sky blue a yellow and a red and it's not a dark red it's not even like a bold red it's a it's a highlight red right the the color palette in in uh superman comics is a feels a lot more pastel and additionally the other key thing is when green lantern comics want something to pop they don't muddy the canvas like looking back on it the backdrops uh, the backgrounds and like background characters in Green Lantern comics are a lot simpler and like more neutral uh, colors uh, compared to like it feels like the color choices in Superman comics or other uh, Silver Age comics uh, there's a lot more going on in the backgrounds and a lot busier backgrounds and a lot same color kind of backgrounds so it winds up like you don't see like foreground background it doesn't mm. It doesn't feel like there's as sharp of a distinction as there is in Green Lantern comics. So that, that was something I wanted to kind of look at and think about. And also talk a little bit about uh, how Martian Manhunter didn't have, like, expressive uh, characters. Uh, Clark and Superman aren't terribly expressive, but they're, like, on the human end of stoic. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, yeah, and you get good reactions occasionally. Oh, no, this is... I am... I am a, I am a lion now. Yeah, Jimmy and Lois are more expressionful than him, or expressive. Yeah, and that is most of my stuff. I have random fun. Sure. All right. This is a little bit of coolness about me, actually, or at least my family. Uh, on page three of Action Two Forty One, there's a lightning fingerprint classifier in the uh, the super brain that he has mm -hmm. for Batman. Uh, my grandpa was actually involved in the effort to improve and connect. Uh, fingerprint databases such that states can now like check yeah. against each other's databases that's cool yeah uh he was part of search was the uh the foundation that kind of or no, no probably not foundation but i think it's technically a non-profit uh that sort of pushes for that cool uh, there's also a bit when superman is president uh he finds pirate treasure to wipe out the $300 million federal deficit. <laughs> Fun fact, in 1958, the federal deficit was $16.4 increased to $74.8 billion the next year. Then it evened up to uh, $1.73 surplus in uh, 1960. Uh, so that's what I've got. All right. Well, we are thoroughly into the, into the Silver Age now with these <laughs> weird stories and I think this is a good start. I think this yeah. is a great place to bounce off of because then we'll do the other rest of the Trinity and then we'll move to the JLA. But yeah, thanks for sticking with us with uh, Superman and we hope to see you again next time when we talk more about the Man of Steel and then we move forward. So we will see you all next episode. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com.
The few days we spent tailing Superman and speaking to Jimmy Olsen had us convinced that while this wasn't the same Superman we had encountered in the Golden Age, there were certain similarities that made us think that he too had been altered in a minuscule amount of ways like ourselves. While he was still saving citizens at super speed, he was much more the Blue Boy Scout than before, with some curious and strange capers awaiting him on a daily basis. To get the full effect, we kept our hotel room booked and decided to see if any more alien visitations or body-changing episodes befell this Silver Age Man of Steel. 